Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey guys, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a rough start. It's going to be one of those shows, I suspect. Uh, (laughs) How you living? I'm doing good. I'm in the new place. Um, I was basically Pooh Bear for the first two weeks. Just don't know what that means. I didn't wear pants is what it means. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't wear pants. Didn't wear anything from the waist down. So um, you're welcome or I'm sorry to my neighbors. <laughs> I'm not sure. It felt really good. I just, I didn't have to. I didn't have to. It was like shaving my legs over the winter. Um, I did not because I didn't have to. So yeah. I just shaved my legs for the first time today. I did too. Weird. Today, today. Yep. You know, figured it was time. <laughs> the flowers are blooming. It's time to shave your legs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of flowers blooming, I just for- foraged. I don't know if you can technically call it forage if it's your backyard, but we just, um, me and Hattie went out there and tore up a bunch of violet flowers oh. in oh. their leaves. And so they're edible flowers, the little purple ones in your grass. And I'm going to dry some. You can eat them fresh, like put them in a salad, edible flowers. But I'm going to dry some and make some like teas because I'm super inspired by our last podcast, that interview we did with Amy from Her Vital Way. Yes. People really love that one. It's so exciting because we were kind of like, oh, people could want to hear about this stuff. It turns out they did. They really did. I know. I think it's it's working out well for us with the things that we're interested in, people are also interested in. So that's good. Yeah, let's hope we can keep that going. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> well, it's right. funny because the topic for tonight's show is like Kyle was like, we should do a show on sugar. And I was like, oh, God. Anything that was but. your reaction, too. That was like, <laughs> that was like It just felt like beating a dead horse. But then we got a, a question about sugar and um, clearly people want to hear about it. So we're going to talk about it. Yep. Okay. So let's dive in. So Sugar Girl writes in, both my mom and I listen and love your podcast. I think you do an amazing job of delivering consumable, well-researched, and unbiased health information. I love that you highlight how the world is today overloaded with positive and negative health messages. I'm 24 and I am deep in the Instagram, Snapchat, social media world. It's completely overwhelming, body shaming, and anxiety inducing. Your podcast has helped me stay grounded and not bite when I see the words detox, cleanse, diets, etc. Thank you for fighting the tough fight against the profit-focused health companies, Ponzi schemes, and reminding your listeners that it's so important to understand who's delivering the health information we are consuming. Anyways, I was wondering if you would ever review the nutritional issues with sugar. 
Sugar is added in sneaky ways into everything. Could you guys review the sneaky ingredients that are sugar disguises, the risks of eating too much sugar, and how to combat cravings if you're someone like me who loves chocolate? We all know it's bad for you, but how bad is bad? What are the appropriate levels on average for consumption? I know this probably varies person to person and based on which recommendations you read. Also, what is the deal with coconut sugar, cane sugar, maple syrup, and honey? Again, thank you for all your hard work you do to share your knowledge with the world. I love spreading your message to my friends and family. That's how I got my mom hooked on your podcast. So nice. So nice. Um, thank you, P.S. Thank you to everybody that writes in with like really, really nice things to say. It makes Kyle and I... Um, feel like it's so all worth happy it. yeah. so happy it's this is a lot of work and you know we it's not like we're getting paid for this no <laughs> it's like no, we're not. it's just like the two of us just talking into microphones so um we're stoked that this that our message is reaching people and you guys are happy about it so thanks for that um i do want to preface this entire sugar discussion by saying that there's a spectrum to sugar consumption the standard American diet contains way too much refined sugar, too much processed carbohydrate, processed grain, processed flours. Those all break down into sugar. And this certainly contributes to negative health consequences. Based on the people writing into the show, I'm guessing that most of you guys aren't eating the standard standard American diet, but we're still going to unpack the issues with too much sugar just to give you guys a better understanding of what exactly is going on. And then on the other side of the spectrum, so we have standard American diet on one side, and on the other side, we have people like freaking out about sugar. And these are the folks that are lambasting fruit, worried about eating pineapple because it's too high in sugar, or who completely eschew any added sugar they see to any ingredient label. And on the show, we, we talk a lot about diet culture's insidious effects, right? We talk about that a lot. Sometimes we can leave behind the diets and the weight loss worries, but bring that same mindset into our healthy eating attempts. And I just want to point out that there is a fine line between being conscientious about health and neurotic about our decisions. So there are definitely different types of uh, food programs and sugar detoxes, and they do make you inspect ingredient lists looking for added sugar. And you guys probably know that I am a fan of reading ingredient lists because you really, when you're looking at ingredient lists, you really do start to identify food from non-food. And it just makes you more aware of what's going on in our food system. When you start to see crazy things that you can't pronounce, or you start to see how much canola oil is added to everything, or how much sugar is added to everything. But we can often get so caught up in the minutia that we miss the forest for the trees. Um, one thing that we seem to have lost when it comes to our food is common sense. And that's really something that I think both my myself and Kyle are trying to bring people back to just this idea of, of common sense. Hashtag bring back common sense. So, <laughs> trending. <laughs> now trending. Um, all right. So before we jump in and answer the specific questions that Sugar Girl had, um, there are four things that I want everybody to keep in mind. And the first is how much are you consuming? 
I recently heard somebody freaking out about ketchup. Now, a lot of ketchup does have high fructose corn syrup and <laughs> corn, <laughs> corn syrup, uh, okay, or corn syrup. Um, and we do tell people to avoid that 100% of the time. But this particular person was talking about Annie's organic ketchup, and that's the one that I happen to buy, either that or Muir Glen. Um, both of them have pretty short ingredient lists, but one of the ingredients is organic cane sugar. So yeah, ketchup does have, have some sugar in it. And as our college microbiology professor would say, BFD. <laughs> Loved him. Loved Loved him. We get so many phrases from him. He's a, he's a crazy SOB that, that guy was, wasn't he? <laughs> yes. Um, so BFD, like big freaking deal. In other words, it's not a big freaking deal. So just think critically about it. How much are you consuming, right? We're probably consuming a tablespoon or two of ketchup at a time. And within the context of a whole foods diet, the occasional tablespoon of sugar added ketchup is probably fine. Ooh, I'm going to jump in here and profess my love for ketchup and that I am... I am definitely consuming more than a tablespoon at a time. But like you said, I just focus on quality. I buy organic and I buy a brand that doesn't have a long ingredients list. I think I have Annie's in the fridge too. But I'm also like not pounding down ketchup on a daily basis, like opening the fridge and just squeeze bottling it into my mouth. <laughs> but <laughs> gross. But if I'm going to make some roasted potatoes or sweet potato fries, Truth be told, the ketchup bottle is probably going to come to the table with me, but I'm okay with that because it's all context. I really love ketchup myself. Um, I don't eat it on a ton of things, but like you're saying, those things. And um, yeah. uh, hamburgers as well. Oh. But And I always bring the ketchup bottle with me, so I'm probably not limiting it to a tablespoon at a time. But then I look at like my daughter or at Scott, and they're like, they're eating a normal amount of ketchup. Agreed. I was like, oh, Agreed. you don't need yes. a spoon for yours? Okay. <laughs> I'm a condiment gal. I really like condiments. Yes. Okay. So we want to think about just like how much are you are you consuming? Next up is dietary context. So what are you eating most of the time? What do you regularly eat? Are you eating a real foods, whole food, foods diet? Like what's the backdrop, right? I, I usually buy goat yogurt for Hattie and I'll often buy the fruit flavored ones that do have added cane sugar. And I think some health conscious moms would, would question this a little bit. Um, but I think about it in the context of her overall diet. She doesn't have many sources of sugar outside of fruit and dried fruit. That's really the only place that she gets sugar. She doesn't drink juice. She never eats candy. Um, we don't buy popsicles and ice cream. Um, she rarely eats bread. She's definitely not eating PB and J's on the reg. Uh, we don't do any refined, refined grain products. So no Annie's mac and cheese, no frozen waffles, no goldfish, no Annie's bunnies, nothing like that. So the 15 grams of sugar in her yogurt, I don't even think twice about that. Um, you have to think about context. But if those other foods that I mentioned are something you or your family consume regularly, then you really want to take a long look at just how much sugar is coming in. So you're, you probably do want to start looking and paying attention to, to sugar, um, to ingredient lists and labels. Um, just back to that ketchup example, a tablespoon here and there, totally fine. But if you or your kid is eating ketchup every day at multiple meals, that's going to be a lot of sugar. So just use your common sense. Um, the third thing to consider is your personal health context. 
So if you have an inflammatory process going on, if you have diabetes, if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have chronic pain, gut dysbiosis, you probably have to be more structured around your sugar intake. So you probably have to think about it a little bit more than somebody without those those, uh, health situations. And then finally, this is something that I really want to drive home, especially right now because the low carb thing is so is so popular. And I'm not knocking it, guys. I think sometimes people listen to this podcast and they hear what they want to hear. I am not knocking low carb. I dabble in it myself. I think it's awesome for a lot of people, but it is really popular right now. So we're hearing a lot about it. Um, carbohydrate tolerance is highly individualized. Um, so different people can get away with different amounts of carbs. And of course, sugar is a carbohydrate. So we have to, we have to look at that. Um, it really has to do with what type of carbohydrate you're eating, with your genes, how do you break down carbohydrate, with your bacteria, with your gut health, with where you're from, like where in the world you come from. All of this can influence the amount of carbohydrates that we can tolerate. So if, if you're somebody that does better on a low-carb diet, obviously you want to be mindful of your sugar consumption. So we just want you guys to keep all of that stuff in mind as we move into this conversation. Okay. Let's do the thing. Um, so we'll start off by talking about different kinds of sugar. So refined, natural, artificial. Refined sugars are agave, high fructose corn syrup, cane sugar, caramel, syrups, sugars that end in ose, dextrose, fructose, glucose, maltose, lactose, sucrose. Natural sugars are things like honey, maple syrup, molasses, stevia, Artificial sweeteners like the yellow, pink, and blue packets, the Splenda Equal and Sweeten Low, and then sugar alcohols, um, xylitol, sorbitol, and mannitol. So this is not an ex- exhaustive list for each of these, just more of the common ones for each category. Let me just and- pop in here because fructose and glucose are naturally occurring naturally occurring sugars, but when you see them on a food label that's that's meat that's a refined sugar just to be clear about that and then agave i think some people would be like oh i thought agave was natural it's from the the tequila plant but uh agave is a wicked highly refined product we we definitely don't recommend it it's very very high in fructose higher than even high fructose corn syrup so we we definitely put that in the refined sugar category yes yes um I think the easiest way to break it all down is it's good to try and avoid artificial sweeteners. Refined sugar should be limited whenever possible, especially high fructose corn syrup, which we think is smart to try to avoid altogether. And then natural sugars are a good option for when you need to use a sweetener, but it's still a good idea to have some mindfulness around them and not go completely overboard. Keep in mind the things that Erin already mentioned. How much are you consuming? What's the context? All of that. Um, artificial sweeteners are made in a lab. They're the furthest thing from food. They're hundreds of times sweeter than sugar. And unfortunately, they come in contact with our microbiome in a significant way because they pass all the way through the GI tract, mostly unabsorbed. Observational human studies have seen that an increased use of artificial sweeteners is associated with metabolic syndrome, elevated fasting blood glucose, higher A1C, an increased risk for being overweight, as well as significant changes in your microbiome. 
as with most things, you can find mixed evidence and research out there, some good, some bad, some funded by the industry that's producing the product, some funded independently. Um, Dr. Michael Ruscio, who Aaron and I both really like and respect, has said that there seem to be artificial sweetener responders and then non-responders, meaning that not everyone is affected by them in the same way. Do you remember the Olestra chips from the 90s? They were supposed to have the mouth feel like regular chips but couldn't be absorbed by your intestines, so they were marketed as like the ultimate diet food. Do you remember that? I ate them. Do I remember that? <laughs> yeah, I did. I was like, I don't well, care if my butt squirts. I'm going to be so skinny. Exactly. Does anyone remember what happened to the people who ate them? Well, some <laughs> of the people, they shit their pants. And this is what I think about when I think of artificial sweeteners. Something marketed as some kind of free food that can give you all the sweetness you're looking for without the calories like natural sugar only here we are putting this stuff in our food and drinking diet drinks all the time all to avoid gaining weight and making your diabetes worse and studies are showing it is doing the complete opposite of that if something seems too good to be true it usually is and it's especially important to have some caution around anything in our food system that's made in a lab and is also relatively new to the human diet with that said I think if you end up having a small dose of artificial sweeteners occasionally, it's probably harmless. You don't need to absolutely lose it. But as a whole, I think it's smart to consider them guilty until proven innocent and just try not to make them regulars in their, in your diet because we really are still learning about the long-term effects of them. Yeah, and what we do know isn't good. Um, I When I was this last summer, I was like essentially huffing information about the microbiome. I was like reading everything I could get my hands on. And I learned something so cool. Just the more we learn about the microbiome, all the bacteria in our guts, the more I'm like, this is like the most amazing thing ever. But they essentially have the ability. So if they sense sweet, like like you said, Kyle, we artificial sweeteners because we want something sweet without the calories. But if they sense sweet and there isn't calories there, there's there's no sugar there, then they actually have the ability to harvest calories, more calories from other food. So essentially you're going to get those calories regardless. Wow. Well, there, there goes like the studies show that there's an increased risk for weight gain. I mean, for being overweight, I see so many people drinking upwards of two liters of diet soda a day in the hospital on the regular and they are doing it to keep their diabetes in check and almost always always their diabetes is are incredibly uncontrolled and they are incredibly overweight so it's it's just a really sad state of affairs well it's like Um, the more sugar you consume and especially like you said this it's so much more sweet than, than natural sugars but it's like your taste buds become become in tune to that. And so it's like the hyper palatability. It's so flavorful that anything else is going to pale in comparison. And then you've got this, like you're kind of like locked into consuming all this sweet stuff. Nine out of 10 of these people are in the same conversation I have with them. They say they hate water and cannot tolerate drinking it. And that is a result of you having hyper palatable, like, drinks all day long of course when you go and try to drink water it's just like it tastes like like cardboard which is crazy it's water but that's what happens um 
So artificial sweeteners, we get the gist on that. Um, kind of same thing with refined sugars. It's it's a good practice to just be aware of what's in your food, read labels on anything packaged that you buy because the front of it could say 100% whole grain or less sodium or low fat or whatever phrase catches your eye. And then lo and behold, the ingredients list has like five different kinds of sugar on it. High fructose corn syrup in its liquid form, like in soda, is something I would avoid because these are the kinds of drinks that really contribute to weight gain. We Studies have found that we aren't actually reducing our caloric intake otherwise when we drink these kinds of, of calories, so they just end up being extra. And, um, and then we're like, what happens to extra calories? You gain weight. So when somebody asks me about weight loss, soda is almost always the first thing I ask about because I have seen person after person lose significant amounts of weight just from cutting out soda alone. Um, if you're concerned about GMOs, which I think is smart, high fructose corn syrup is produced from crops that are more common to be GMOs in the U.S., like sugar beets and corn. So if we're comparing white sugar to high fructose corn syrup just in terms of GMOs, it's pretty easy to find non-GMO organic sugar compared to high fructose corn syrup. I know she didn't ask about sugar alcohols, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. Um, they're a type of low digestible carbohydrate. So compared to artificial sweeteners, they aren't totally calorie free because we're able to digest and absorb them to an extent. About 50% from xylitol, 80% sorbitol, and 100% of erythritol is absorbed, but not necessarily digested. So they provide differing amounts of calories. They're generally recognized as safe. Sugar alcohols are found naturally in fruit and are known as polyols, which is a FODMAP. The catch with sugar alcohols is that well, in the same words of the professor that said BFD, they can also cause the rumbly dumps um, by pulling a lot of water into the large intestine. <laughs> then the fermentation of them by our bacteria can cause gas and bloating. One benefit is that they don't really affect blood glucose levels. So they're a better alternative to artificial sweeteners, but still something I wouldn't go overboard with. And you may really need to play around to find out how much you tolerate, if you tolerate them, and be extra cautious if you have any gut issues already. Uh, the first national... The, what? The, the, <laughs> national anthem. <laughs> The first natural anthem. The first natural sugar I'll talk about is honey, and that's because it's been around forever. It contains enzymes, trace minerals, flavonoids, polyphenols. It's also antibacterial. So for honey, use raw to get the most of those enzymes and nutrients because that's all going to get destroyed uh, when you process with heat. And also try to buy local because you'll end up getting a blend of bee pollen in there, which can help decrease allergies and strengthen your immune system. So stevia has two camps, people who believe it's harmless and people who don't. From what I understand, the evidence leads more towards harmless, especially if you aren't overdoing it. Because the thing with stevia is it's super sweet, so a little goes a very long way. You don't want to get used to having highly sweetened foods or drinks on a regular basis and build up a tolerance to these hyperpalatable flavors, whether that's sweet or salty.
And stevia is, um, it's a leaf. It's a very sweet leaf. So true stevia powder is green. It's just the crushed up leaf and it's naturally sweet. What most people are consuming is something that's far from a natural sweetener. It's a heavily refined product. Often like the stevia you get at the grocery store, for example, in the packets, it has um, other things with it like dextrose and um, just other things to kind of not stabilize it, but just make it more sugar-like. So I would not recommend that um, at all because because of all the extra ingredients. Um, and then there's, there is a, not a tincture, but like an extract, a liquid extract. And that's more, uh, more natural than the stuff you'll get at the grocery store, but it's still not like the stevia green leaf. Um, and I do want to say that keep in mind any type, any type of sweet taste, and this includes stevia, even though it's, you know, it's a natural sweetener, any type of sweet taste can elicit an, uh, an insulin response in the body. So that's just kind of like an interesting thing. Yeah. And remember insulin is our fat storage hormone. We grew stevia on the farm and oh, it is so sweet. So, so sweet. Just chewing on the leaf. Like you can basically have a little nibble and then it's kind of like out of your mouth. Ugh. Yeah. I have like a, like a mason jar full of stevia leaf, like green powder. And it's, you know, it's, it's a plant. It, it doesn't taste like sugar. It tastes like a sweet plant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maple syrup coconut sugar and molasses all have some minerals in them but they're all lower on the glycemic index than white sugar so remember that the glycemic index is a scale for carbohydrates to measure how much they affect blood glucose levels low glycemic is anything under 55 and is digested absorbed and metabolized slower which is what we want we don't want something like a piece of wonder bread that's you know, digested super fast, and then we get this drastic spike in our blood blood glucose levels. So white table sugar is around 65, and coconut sugar, which is the lowest in this group, is at 35. This is why it's viewed as kind of a healthier option than white sugar. Plus it has the, the minerals that you talked about too, so there's yeah. some nutrition there um, as well. All right, so she also asked about sneaky ingredients in ways sugar are disguised. I think you already called out some of the the ingredients that you would look for on a label, like evaporated cane juice, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, fructose, sucrose, malt, maltose, maltodextrin, dextrose, beet sugar, turbinado sugar. Those are all different ways of um, of putting sugar on on a food label. It's such like a sobering topic <laughs> because there are over 60 different names for sugar that you could find on an ingredients list. Remember, and to your point, there yeah. is like there and there's sometimes like five or six different ones in the yeah. same product. Yeah. So if you add up all the different types of sugar, it's like a crap ton of sugar. And I mean, they do not want you to find to figure this out. I mean, like <laughs> maltodextrin is not something that the average person is going to be like, oh, that's sugar. That's it's, true. It's so the good news is that there is good news is that if you stick to eating a mostly whole foods, minimally processed diet, you really won't have to worry about reading label after label, trying to decipher what's actually in there because these foods won't come in a package anyways. But most of us aren't totally living off the grid and growing all our own food and not having any packaged food. So that's that's just not really the reality for most people in the U.S. Although I do think 
more and more people are getting comfortable making a whole foods minimally processed diet as their foundation and just keeping a little wiggle room in there for the packaged stuff. We talked about condiments like ketchup already, but also salad dressings, deli meats, canned fruits, breads are a big one, tortillas, any of that, like read the breads, um, peanut butter or any nut butters. The only ingredient should be the nut or the seed. Crackers, soups, sausage, yogurts, uh, cereals, granola, barbecue sauce, tomato sauce, even smoothies or green juices, depending on where you, where you get them, can have a ton of extra sugar added to them. So try not to get overwhelmed by this list though. Yes, sugar is in a lot of things, but remember most, most of us are creatures of habit. We eat a lot of similar meals on rotation. We typically buy a lot of the same staples every time we go food shopping. So in the beginning, it does take extra time to read labels and compare brands, but then you know what's good, what to avoid, what to look out for, maybe when to use an alternative or even just make something at home like nut butter or salad dressing. Just keep in mind that things can always change. So it's a good idea to double check the ingredients every so often just to make sure the manufacturers didn't go switching anything around on you. And just for a refresher, we talked about fructose in episode 14 and discussed how unless it's something naturally like in fruit or honey and within the context of a whole food, It's the kind of fructose that's refined or isolated, which means it comes from another food like corn or beets a lot of the time. It's metabolized differently than glucose because your liver is completely responsible for metabolizing it, whereas compared to glucose, your liver is only partially responsible for metabolizing that. So fructose is putting all of the heavy lifting on your liver, which in today's modern world is already kind of working on overdrive, trying to keep up with everything. Fructose consumption is associated with insulin resistance, increased energy intake, so you're eating more, um, impaired metabolism, weight gain, high triglycerides, and high, high blood pressure. There's enough evidence out there that says to just stay away from high fructose corn syrup and fructose, which Erin mentioned agave contains a high amount of whenever possible. And again, we're talking about the processed kind, not the fructose naturally occurring in whole foods. Yeah, fructose is one of those if I see it on a label, not eating it. Which stinks because I remember when that came out. Oh, my God. I used it. Everyone was using it. We all thought it was like, oh, this is this is great. Nope. What agave? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People still use it thinking it's a health food. It's kind of a funny thing. Yeah. Um, Okay. So she also asked about nutritional issues with sugar and risks of eating too much sugar. I don't really love that word risk. It sounds a little bit like, all right, calm down, everybody. It's just food. But, but um, let's dive in. So the, the first issue I see is sugar is really a nutritional withdrawal on the body. So different carbohydrates. Um, Let's use a sweet potato for an example. So sweet potato obviously has some sugar in it, right? But it also has B vitamins. It has minerals like magnesium, iron, copper, and zinc. And these are all things that we need in order to metabolize that carbohydrate, to metabolize that sugar um, in order for us to, to break things down and extract energy from our food, we need nutrients. Um, But regular straight sugar doesn't have any nutrients. 
um, it's just a source of carbohydrate. So it's actually a nutritional withdrawal on the body. It pulls out the body's stores in order to metabolize it. So not all sugar is created equally. You really have to look at how it's coming packaged up. This is why we say like stay away from refined sugar, but sugar from food, fruit is, you know, is okay. Um, remember that natural sweeteners are different than plain white sugar because they do contain some trace minerals. We kind of already touched upon this. Real maple syrup, honey, dates, molasses, coconut sugar, all of that has some nutrition with them. So it's one of the reasons why natural um, sugars are a little bit better than just straight table sugar. Um, the other issue to consider is blood sugar dysregulation and its effects on the adrenal glands. So what happens, like just like a refresher to like high school science class, we eat, our blood sugar rises, and then insulin spikes. So when blood glucose rises, then the pancreas releases insulin, like Kyle said, that's a storage hormone, and it takes glucose from the blood and sends it to either the muscles, the liver, or the fat cells to be used as either fuel or stored as fat. Now, if blood sugar spikes too rapidly because you're eating sugar or refined carbohydrates, then too much insulin is going to be released, and that leaves you with low blood sugar. Because remember that insulin is taking the sugar out of the blood and throwing it somewhere else. So then blood sugar drops and crashes. And we all know the feeling of that. It's like that hangry, shaky, anxious, maybe you've got headaches, hard to focus. You've got that brain fog. Maybe your heart races a little bit. Those are the symptoms of a blood sugar crash or your, when your blood sugar is too low. And when your blood sugar drops too low like this, that affects the adrenal glands. So the adrenal glands are little triangular shaped glands that sit on top of the kidneys and they're responsible for producing and releasing stress hormones. And when your blood sugar drops too low, the adrenals have to kick in to release cortisol and other stress hormones to bring your blood sugar back up. When you're in a fasted state, if there's no food available, then we have to lean on cortisol to bring our blood sugar back up. Um, it, what happens is that it stimulates the breakdown of glycogen from storage and it dumps it into the, the bloodstream. So in a nutshell, we've got blood sugar rises that spikes insulin and we have a blood sugar crash and that um, triggers cortisol release to move sugar out of storage and into the bloodstream and it becomes this cycle. And now we're not going to talk about adrenal fatigue on this show. That's just like a topic for another show. Uh, adrenal fatigue or HPA access dysregulation or cortisol dysregulation, whatever you want to call it. It's a real thing. I see it every single day in my practice. Um, but if we've got something like that going on, we don't want to lean on cortisol to raise our blood sugar for us. So this is one of the reasons that we want to stay away from sugar and high, highly refined carbohydrates because it's going to put the uh, put your blood sugar on this like dramatic roller coaster. So we just talked about low, low blood sugar, but we also have to think about high blood sugar, the opposite end of the spectrum, high blood sugar and insulin resistance. So as we mentioned earlier, the standard American diet um, contains a lot of sugar. And so our cells are relentlessly exposed to insulin. Eventually our cells adapt and they become insulin resistant, meaning they refuse insulin entry into the cell. It basically becomes like white noise. After a while, the cells just don't even recognize insulin. It doesn't even realize that it's there. So what happens is that there's too much sugar 
and there's too much insulin circulating in the blood. And this leads to inflammation, this leads to hormonal issues, this leads to problems in the brain. Too much glucose and insulin damages the brain, and it's one of the reasons that Alzheimer's disease has been referred to as type 3 diabetes. Actually, folks with diabetes are twice as likely to get Alzheimer's as, uh, as non-diabetics. So there's a really dramatic link between the two. And if you have issues with your brain health, you're really going to want to take a long, hard look at your sugar consumption for some of those reasons. And then finally, sugar has a negative effect on the microbiome, the, the bacteria in our gut that we were talking about earlier. Um, sugar can feed pathogenic bacteria in yeast and allow them to overgrow and crowd out the commensal and beneficial bacteria. It's totally a story for another day, but um, I do go into this topic pretty extensively in my online gut workshop. I just talk about why this is such a big, a big deal and what you can do about it. So if you're interested in that, check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes. But essentially, our gut microbiome is simply not adapted to the amounts of sugar we're getting through the standard American diet, which results in dysregulation of the metabolism and brain function as well. Yep. Cool. Um, so question also asked, how to combat cravings? First of all, it's funny that you say combat, because I always say combat combat you say combat I mean I think you it's it's right both ways but you said well, it earlier and I was like oh I think our uh, this entire podcast is just like uh, like hearing me say things <laughs> differently than other people well oftentimes it's wrong but I, in this case <laughs> I don't you. think it is <laughs> how do you say Caribbean Caribbean or Caribbean uh Caribbean yeah Caribbean okay all right how do well, you say it I say Caribbean, but then I say Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, so. oh wow! I'm on the spot, so I don't, I don't know. That's, I don't mean to stress you one. out here. I'll think about that. I'll write in my journal about that one. All right. So, how to combat or combat cravings? <laughs> Either or. Um, and I, I love this question because the cravings conversation is a good one, and it's one that I, I just really like to have. Um, because it goes so much deeper than just like food cravings. Um, women are taught that any desires we have, food or otherwise, are dirty, bad, and wrong. So of course, food cravings are going to be lumped into this, and really any type of hunger for that matter, right? We, we, we feel bad and guilty for having hunger. Um, and I just think it's funny that sugar girl writes combat cravings because that is that that term is such diet culture rhetoric i'm sure that we've all seen that exact phrase on the cover of a magazine or some clickbait blog and she didn't say it in an ironic way like using quotes or anything she she wrote it as though they were her own words and thoughts and i am a hundred percent not poking fun at sugar girl here the girl that wrote the question i'm just using this as an example to showcase how diet culture permeates our own thoughts and language and even if we might not realize it it's there it's there when we think about food when we talk about food and when we eat food and so we're taught culturally that our cravings are bad and that basically breaks our inner compass because we feel like we can't trust what our bodies are telling us. So if we're taught your cravings are bad, then when we have cravings, right, we think something's wrong with us and we're like, oh, not to be trusted. 
And if we're taught that our bodies and our desires are not to be trusted, then we go to war with ourselves. And this is where most American women are right now, at war with their food, with their bodies, and with themselves, hence the cravings combat. <laughs> um, so I personally see cravings as information, and that's really what I want to convey to other people. They're telling us things about our environment. Cravings are encoded messages, and they're showing up to make us aware of certain needs. So let's talk about why you would get cravings. Um, I, the first place I have to start is with emotional cravings because that interview we did with Alicia Joy Styles a couple of episodes ago, I mean, that was really what the, the whole best. show- The best. And it, I mean, she talked really extensively about, about this. And so I think that is one of the areas where, where you need to look at if you're having food cravings, what's going on in your life that might be prompting you to crave, you know, what's going on there. Um, so if you haven't yet listened to that episode for sure. Um, another one is nutrient craving. Sometimes we, we just crave nutrients um, and that can lead to food and sugar cravings. Remember that sugar is a nutritional withdrawal to the system. So we're using up nutrients in order to metabolize sugar. Um, so it might be a micronutrient, like if there's, um, if you're deficient in certain minerals, you might crave sugar. I know that, that chocolate cravings are oftentimes, or sometimes due to a magnesium deficiency. She had mentioned craving chocolate, um, but also macronutrients, right? If you're on a low carb diet, that's not really jiving with your body. You might be craving sugar and carbohydrates, right? But you you might be on a low fat diet and craving food, or you, you might not be eating enough protein. And so you're having cravings for food. So um, I would look at both micronutrient and macronutrient status. Another reason for cravings is blood sugar crashes and adrenal fatigue. So I talked about that whole process that can definitely lead to, to sugar cravings because when your blood sugar dips, you need something to bring it back up ASAP, right? So you're going to be reaching for like the quick stuff and all the quick stuff is high in sugar and high in refined carbohydrates. So um, one way to mitigate that is to just really support blood sugar regulation and make sure you're not getting those blood sugar crashes. But on the flip side of that same coin is insulin resistance and high blood sugar can lead to pretty intense cravings as well, um, especially for sweets. Like so craving sweets right after meals, that can be a sign of high blood sugar. And then finally, um, our biological programming. We, we just can't overlook this. We are all hardwired to crave foods with high caloric density. And that's really just adaptive during evolution when sugar was, was difficult to come by, right? When we came across sugar, our brain told us like, eat, 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 keep eating, keep eating, chug a lug like you did last night. Like we are getting all the messages to just keep going. And so even though we've been led to believe that cravings and overeating are all our fault because we're lacking willpower, it's actually just how our body is designed. It's how our brain has developed. We live in this evolutionary mismatch, and I, I probably have said this a hundred times if I've said it once, our environment has changed faster than our genes and our bodies can keep up. And of course, our environment includes our food environment, our food system, the food industry, the foods that are around us. 
So when we have high sugar foods everywhere, and when we have our bodies telling us to eat more sugar, then this creates a really bad scene for a lot of us. One of the biggest reasons that we tell people to stay away from processed food is that many of them do have added sugars, and this disrupts the neuroregulation of our appetite. It influences influences hormones like leptin and ghrelin that tell us when we're hungry and when we're full. And it also influences neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. So essentially we're told everything is fine in moderation and yet our food industry pumps out foods that we cannot physiologically moderate. So we've talked about this on the show before. Modern food has been engineered for overeating and sugar is one way that the food industry does this. So modern food is hyper palatable. It makes you want to eat more of it. I feel like I just need to stop you here and repeat what you just said. We're told everything in moderation, and yet our food industry pumps out food we can't physiologically moderate. Amazingly well put. Right. It's like this lose-lose situation, and we just all feel like it's our fault. Well, I have cravings. It's my fault right? I can't stop eating. I can't put the the brakes on eating. It's my fault, but it's, it's not your fault, right? It's, we're so conditioned to blame ourselves versus say like, oh, well, maybe it's the food industry. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. the food. Maybe it's the diet. You know, it's, it's not your fault. Um, so under ideal circumstances, if we were just eating real food, we would receive strong satiety signals that put the brakes on eating, But again, the hyper palatable high sugar foods, they stimulate our taste buds, they stimulate our brain, that along with the modern American lifestyle of poor sleep, altered gut bacteria, systemic inflammation, all of these things undermine this process and allow us to overeat. So you can start to see the how to combat cravings question can be a really tough one to answer because there's so many factors at play. So if you're actively taking care of your emotional health, if you've thought about your nutrient cravings and are eating a nutrient-dense diet full of micronutrients, if you've got your digestion unlocked to make sure you're actually absorbing all the nutrients from your food, if you've made sure you don't have any gut infections or bacterial or fungal overgrowth that can be contributing to your sugar cravings, if you've made sure that you're eating and living to support blood sugar regulation, if you're avoiding processed foods, if you're doing all of those things and you're still experiencing sugar cravings, this might mean that your body is better equipped for an extremely low sugar and even low carbohydrate diet. I'm also just going to add in here, I have dark chocolate every single night. I look forward to it after dinner and since I'm not eating like a half chocolate bar every night, I just look at it as a treat for the end of my day. So there is a difference between cravings and just a desire for something. If you're not going crazy with the amounts you're eating and it's just something you enjoy doing, maybe try to just enjoy it and work hard to view it as a positive thing and something that makes you happy and something that you just enjoy having at night at the end of a day instead of grouping it into a negative box. It's not like you're eating Cheetos every night. Yeah, that's such a good point. I I mean, I think we're just so, it's so ingrained in us to be like, oh, I shouldn't yeah. be, you know, like it's bad. Like I'm not supposed to, I have it every night. Well, that that's okay. I mean, I'm a creature of habit. Most things I do, I, I'm doing regularly. I um, literally eat dark chocolate every single night. It, that is the one thing in my house that if it's 
if we're out of that and coffee, if we're out of it, I have to go to the grocery store. Like I cannot make do nothing will suffice coffee and dark chocolate. Agreed. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page there. All right. And then her final question or the final one we're going to tackle is appropriate levels of consumption. How much is too much? Right. Yeah, I know. So the annoying answer is that it totally depends on the individual and it can change for each individual from time to time. So to use myself as an example, lately I've been under a lot of stress and my immune system is a bit overwhelmed and I definitely have some inflammation going on. Like my my joints are a little stiff. I've got a little swelling in my hands. I know I'm inflamed right now. So any sugar I eat, even in the form of healthy whole food sugars like dates and honey, it's making me feel pretty lousy. So right now I know I want to keep my sugar consumption at bay, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, we want, we want people to be aware of how much they're having and, and listen to their bodies, but we're not recommending calorie counting and we're not recommending counting sugar grams. Just, just take a look at what you're, what you're doing. Um, and just be aware. Um, like we've been saying, small amounts of sugar in the context of a whole food, nutrient-dense diet is probably fine. The trick is being able to limit your intake to small amounts in the first place. So take a look at your current diet, read labels on the products you're buying, notice how much you depend on sugar and things you have regularly, like coffee or tea. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, Let's call it a show. Thanks for stopping in. Yeah. Thanks for stopping in. Thanks for popping in. See you next time. I don't see anyone. (laughs) Good day. I said good day, sir. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.